Okay, good evening, afternoon, morning, whatever applies to you. Uh, welcome to EuroLeague, where today it's all about overreacting as much as possible to the first week of LEC, aka the Super Week. Uh, joining me today, uh, you may know him as the coach of Astralis, but I know him as the support player from the H2K lineup that gave me probably the most PTSD of uh, any H2K team where we actually lost... If you remember LEC promos to a Copenhagen Wolves team, 3-0, which had Young Buck in top lane and a fucking Fortnite player in the jungle, uh, or what is now Fortnite player in the jungle. So yeah, good times, good times. And oh, by the way, OD, I actually wanted to ask you, um, because yeah. I went on your Leaguepedia and I saw something really weird. And I was like, how have I never, how do I never heard of this? Like, what the hell is this? It says you played in a tournament for Romania called the IESF 7th Esports World Championship. And yeah, I get, it's <laughs> What the fuck is it? It's, I mean, it says it was in Korea as well. Did you go to Korea uh, to play this? Yeah, exactly. It was amateur tournament. And actually, I happened to be in the same team with Zerse back then. Uh, yeah. Gabano, if you know him from old school. Yeah. And a few other Romanian players. And yeah, we just uh, played against Korea and China and all these teams. It was quite a lot of teams. The teams are super random as well, because I was like, okay, Romania. So there were some European teams, maybe. It was like, what the hell's going on? Like, in your group, you have, uh, like, China, Australia, Serbia, Tunisia, Switzerland, South Africa. Like, the most random teams ever. Like, none of the Western European teams. So how did this even happen? Like, what, what, did they, did they pay for your trip know. and everything? Like, what was this? yeah. It was very well organized. I think the problem was when we got there, however, like there weren't really PCs for us to practice and actually the most important stage games were not even recorded. <laughs> like wow. I really think I played one of the best games of my career at that point against uh, Korea and uh, it was the best of three. We were 1-0, almost 2-0. We lost it and then uh, lost to one, you know, so we got uh, reversed, but it was not even recorded, you know, like the way there was no audience, there was no recording, no nothing. So it was a bit scuffed, yes. So for all of you at home who've been begging for this like World Cup tournament, guess what? It already happened. Just nobody watched it. So there you go. Proof's in the pudding. Uh, I'm also joined by, of course, uh, Kobe. And I have a fun fact for you, Kobe. Okay, one which you probably know. But you are now officially, since Reckless fucked off to the LFL, the longest standing ADC in the LEC. And not only that, I think you actually have played a full two seasons more than the next most experienced AD carries, which I think is Upset and Patrick, maybe? Maybe Upset has split before, I'm not sure. Did you know that? You probably did, but... Um, yeah, I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think there's like a particular... Obviously, the Reckless thing's a bit of an asterisk because obviously he's still like really good at the game, right? He's just kind of decided not to be an LEC. But do you think there's like a specific reason why you've outlasted like so many other of your contemporaries? I mean, I think I was good since the beginning, and those uh, who played, I think it was Sven at the time, was also in EU, and I saw him as like the best together with Reckless at that point. And since then, it's been, um, as you say, there's Patrick, Hansama, Offset, uh, these kind of players joining after me. And those are the kind of names you, you recognize as the, the good or great AD carry players. And yeah, for me, I'm not really sure. I think I... Had a lot of good seasons, obviously bad ones too, because I haven't achieved everything I want to. Um, but yeah, I think I always tried my hardest to to win throughout my career in whatever team I was in. So, yeah. From from like the old school guys that you used to play against, because obviously you know you're in the league at the same time as Forgiven and Reckless and those guys back then as well, and not like the new age guys, I guess you can call them now. Who, who do you think? And I know it's difficult because obviously bot lane is a two-person role but who is the person who's like consistently given you like the hardest time in lane would you say like who which ad have you found it hardest to play against um that's kind of difficult to answer because i think it changes from uh, from split or like from year to year but overall i would say uh hunt and summer for sure i think in at least for official games he gave me the most trouble um, out of anyone, yeah. Hmm, fair enough. Uh, now, before we dive into this, I do have to unfortunately ask you my patented "Would you rather" question. And this time, it's—I'm not going to lie—it's a difficult one. I actually thought about this for a long time, and I still don't know the answer. So, my "Would you rather" question, and I'll start with you, AOD, is: Would you rather 
have to wear shorts all the time regardless of weather or occasion or anything like you could be at a wedding you still have to wear shorts like it could be raining still shorts okay or no matter what you have to wear like smart leather suit shoes all the time so you could be in the gym or doing sport whatever you have to wear the same leather smart shoes all the time what would you rather or what would be worse I it's a very hard one because I actually hate both pieces of clothing. <laughs> like, I don't like formal uh, stuff and I also don't like shorts, but uh, I guess I'll go with shorts over formal. I actually hate it that much. <laughs> Fair enough. What about you, Kobe? Uh, shorts, for sure. I'm already wearing that all the time during summer, so... Nice. Short shorts on a LEC stage near you, hopefully. Uh, excellent. <laughs> right. Now, what I want to know is obviously you guys have had, and as I said, this is the overreaction re week, right? It's week one, obviously it's super week, so you guys play three games. But you guys obviously went two and one this week. And to be honest, I actually thought for like, st even though in the end it wasn't close, I guess, I thought for like parts of the G2 game, like in the early game, I thought you actually matched up like fairly well. I want to kind of get your feelings about like going into the split. And I'll start with you on, on this AOD. Like after spring, um and going into this split like what were your realistic expectations like what were you hoping for was it to like make playoffs did you feel like so good that you thought maybe you could make a push for worlds did you not set a target like what what were your hopes for what summer would look like going in i mean i think first of all uh, i just wanted to make playoffs but i also knew that if we fail somehow that it's on us really as coaches because like i just felt instantly when i saw the five man names on paper that it's just a really good team you know and it's just about how we use them so we just started early basically as a result of that and we trained really hard so i think that's kind of the result of why we feel very prepared already in week one and kobe for you like obviously it's super early days but have you noticed like what are the key differences you kind of noticed like maybe even before you played stage games like was there a different feel like going into summer than there was before like going into spring um yeah i would say more confidence at least just based on scrim results and our general level of playing those scrims i think it was easier to go into summer with more confidence and I, w I was gonna say like team morale as well but that's i'm not sure if i want to bring that because i think that was actually fine going into spring as well but kind of went downhill as we were mm -hmm. losing game after game but it's definitely refreshing with this new uh with these new guys and i think just team morale and friendship between the players and everything is a lot better as well yeah, because no, that's something that I think people are actually really interested to know about. Because obviously, these narratives that have been going on, especially sort of the last year or so, where people have been saying like, ha, lose uh, scrims, win on stage, like win scrims, lose, whatever. Um, when you guys were like having your roughest patch, like obviously there was a, a section there when you guys started to win towards the end. But like when you were having your worst patch in spring, was that like reflected as well in scrims? Obviously, you don't need to go into detail or anything, but like, were you guys getting like posterized in scrims as well? Mm, I think the problem was productivity actually more than anything, you know? Like, I wouldn't say the end result mattered as much as the productivity we got from the scrims themselves, you know? I think that was the most affected thing. Like, it takes very little to tilt when you're in a down period, right? So, and then yeah. the scrim goes bad as well. Definitely. And uh, I mean, obviously, again, this is. You know, overreaction week one, but did you again no details? And I don't want to know about teams or anything. But did you guys have good scrims going into this this split? Like, did you were you surprised at all by like your week one results, or did you think, yeah, that makes sense? I think it went to expectation, kind of. Um, I mean, going into the week, I thought we could win all three games, honestly, uh, depending on what G two shows up. But I mm. think um, if G two is on form and caps as well, it's we're not quite there yet to um, be better than this team. That's going to require some more time, I think. But for the two other games, I definitely think that... Uh, I mean, I was very confident in both those matches going into them. Likewise. Cool. So, yeah, mm -hmm. obviously, um, before the split started, you guys were the team that made the most amount of roster moves. Um, and obviously, some old faces, uh, especially for you, uh, Kobe. Obviously, you played with a couple of these guys before. I want to start with actually Xerxes because to me Xerxes is the one where I feel like as an outsider or let's say as a, a from a fan perspective it makes the most immediate sense on some levels and then I think the other two like obviously I want to get some some input on you guys on how, how these two things uh, panned out but from my perspective again just sort of 
you know, thinking about it, like obviously when you guys were on Splice together, in a way, I think it would be fair to say that your play styles were kind of symbiotic, or at least that was the public perception was that Kobe is like the late game carry, AD carry, right? Like that was at least your reputation was like, if it goes really late and you're on a champion that scales well as Jinx Tristan or whatever, that you will probably do better late game than the other AD carry. And Xerxes obviously was someone who had a lot of pocket picks, which kind of fit this as well. Like he liked to play uh, herbivore jungle style, right? Like he played picks like um, Ivan and so on, which like hyperscaled into the late game and obviously sort of worked well with you. So on paper, you see Xerxes and Kobe together and you're like, okay, that already makes sense. But yeah, from, from your perspective, AOD, like what was what was the thinking behind this move? And did that factor in at all? Like the facts that Xerxes and Busy had played uh, as, a, as a trio before with Kobe or what was the thinking with Xerxes? I mean, I think overall, we just wanted an upgrade as well, right? But at the same time, the symbiosis, like you say, is definitely an important factor. Like, I think if players can actually maintain a healthy relationship after working together for at least one year, and they're still friends after that, and they're still willing to work with each other after that, I think that's very rare already, in my opinion, and my experience so far, you know? So, I think when you have actually three people like that in a team, that it's already crazy, you know? So, I think it's very, very important, and I would say underrated too. Because in the end, what makes the team is the discussions you have behind the scenes, you know, about plays, about uh, how to view the game. And uh, if you have this kind of friendship, then you can actually have the tough talks without uh, breaking the relationship, you know. So it's very important. Yeah. And did did you watch much of Xerxes in NA? Obviously, his his last split or so, wouldn't, he would say himself, like, wasn't his finest or whatever. Like, But did you see enough watching the games where you're like, uh, I mean, maybe the team's not good, but I, I still think there's a good player there? Of course, we always do our research quite well on these things. Like, I would never be comfortable just signing someone based on a name, for example, and stuff like that. So we always do research. We see how they would fit in our uh, uh, formula as well and everything, you know. So I would say I liked what I saw. There were, of course, some questionable moments, but I could also just see when I watched his team play and him play. It's, it didn't really feel like the mutual trust was there, you know, like when I was looking at uh, him and his team. Like, they were doing very often different things and follow-up was not there and so on, you know. But I can see uh, behind the lines, you know, of these things. Yeah, for sure. And for you, Kobe, how's how has it been like having him back? Like, does it does it feel obviously it's a different meta and so on? But do, do you have like an immediate synergy with him when he comes back into scrims? How was that? Uh, I think we we both quite changed a bit, but at the same time we also, I mean, I can see many of the same things in him. But um, for me, the most important was just uh, obviously spring split ended really bad and. It was just really nice and refreshing to get some new faces in and even like old friends. So it just really helps a lot in the beginning. Um, and also just when it comes to the game, we were able to find that synergy back really fast because we don't have to go through the same talks that you usually have when you play together with a new jungler. Like I worked with this guy for two years and we know a lot about each other and how we think about the game both. So that just speeds up the process, I think. Where normally it's like we make so many changes and it's going to take time for us to be better. But this just helps us a lot in the beginning to catch up to other teams. Yeah, it makes sense. No no growing pains, or at least you can kind of shortcut it. Now, the guy, before we talk about Vizzy, the guy that I think is most interesting, again, from an outside perspective, is AOD. How the fuck did you find this guy? Like, what's the story behind this guy? Like, how, how was he scouted? Because, again, like, I went through on the last... Um, uh Euroleague actually I was talking about his previous teams and obviously he was in the L LCK challenges and then some random Busan and teams I hadn't really you know heard of or knew much about before what was the process of bringing this guy in like how how did you decide like yeah this guy is the guy that I think would work well I mean first of all I think I was very happy to take a flip basically it's like a small flip in the sense of like hey bring someone from the outside and uh, try to integrate him in every regard but of course I really wanted to make sure that we have a lot of variables down to minimize the loss of uh, potential risk right so that would mean basically like uh, make sure that he has uh, the skill level required uh, you know that he actually has the personality that could fit because as you know like there is two situations with this kind of uh, import which is basically like integrating him in terms of culture and also language barrier, right? So those two things were kind of tackled early. Um, the skill level that uh, he showcased was very high as well from the scouting we did. Like it was very comfortable and uh, confident, I would say, in the gameplay all the time, really good on engage, which is kind of what we needed as well. Um, the way we found him is basically like, we just looked in Europe market and 
we kind of really didn't uh, like what we saw. Like I, I am really not on the same page with other people saying that Europe supermarket is really full of uh, talent. I, I really disagree there, but that's fine. Uh, however, uh, his agent actually just wrote to me and I said, okay, I, I'm just going to give a look to uh, your guys, you know, and just see if there's something there or not. And I actually really liked, you know, like I remember talking to Hans, you know, our assistant coach and I was like, after four games, I'm like, am I actually dreaming? Is this guy actually this good? Mm -hmm. Or am I just like really hungry to get someone good here? You know? <laughs> and then he looked at it too. And was like, wow, this guy is impressive, you know? And yeah, that's kind of how it all started. Yes, because um, again, Steel, the, uh, Steel, Steel, the um, rogue assistant coach, he was talking to me and he's saying that, uh, and I agree, by the way, I think the support, especially the talent pool of support players, I still think is pretty weak in Europe. And he was saying that he believes the biggest difference right now between the East and the West is laning and he said because of how the korean server works as well and obviously you have lots of the top chinese players playing on the korean server that if you get really high elo it does actually mean something like you just can't afford to get away with like being completely trash in lane and that he said that while he didn't know much about the player that he really liked the move and we both said as well and it's it's funny that you use the word uh, flip as well we're both like it looks from the outside like a flip but it's a flip that we think kind of makes sense, like holistically, for these reasons. So, yeah, no, I yeah, find it. It's a calculated risk, right? Yeah. Like, I think that's very important to highlight. Like, I wouldn't just uh, randomly uh, uh, flip a coin and hope for the best. You know, I think that's not good either. So, but if you minimize the risk and you tackle everything with a system behind it, I think it works. You know. Yeah. How how's his English? I would say when he got signed initially, it was pretty bad, you know, but uh, he had an English teacher in Korea. So before he came here, he already had like three weeks, I think, or something. Then in the end, uh, the teacher actually re-rolled into something else. So we lost him. And mm -hmm. right now we are about to uh, finalize getting him a new one. Like, I think uh, next week he starts again. But uh, I would say his English levels from when we first spoke with him online versus when he came here was already pretty different. And after like three, four weeks of screams, again, very different. You know, I, I, the thing is, he's very smart intuitive especially so when it comes to in-game stuff he's actually just able to read the map or the future state of the map just by things and where people are and stuff so actually english is not that required in that sense but we do struggle of course in you know reviews or uh, approaching him for draft ideas and all that kind of stuff sure so it's not that smooth sailing you know yeah and for you kobe obviously you're the guy that has to lane with him like how how is it i i believe i'm right in saying it's it's the first Korean support you played with, right? I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, how 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 has that been for you? And like, how how is it with the communication in lane? Is it like a real struggle, or is it kind of you almost speak to each other through gameplay, if you like? Like, how is it? Yeah. So I think in game is a lot easier, just through pings and game sense, I guess. Um, I think if both players are good, you actually don't need to talk all the time together. Um, but for me, the biggest uh, or like the hardest thing is definitely out of game, and where we have to look at um, like we re review our laning phase together or something, and uh, it just takes a bit longer than usual because it's hard for him to express exactly what he feels to me um, and me to him as well. So it's it's just a bit longer process of uh, explaining and understanding each other, but I think that's just something you need to go through because even. Though it is like this, we still get a lot out of it every time. Um, but yeah, I was also... I mean, I was not sure what I was getting into at first when I heard we were getting a Korean support, because yeah, I didn't try playing with them before. I tried playing with Koreans who had uh, pretty decent English, and I think for Jungwoon it was, as I already said, it was not that great when he just got here, so that was really difficult, but already by now we have like found good ways to communicate, so everything is just a lot easier um so i think we will just need like a bit more time together to become really good and how how is how do you sort of rate his skill level i mean obviously you're not going to say he's bad but like do you do you notice a different like does he do things that most european supports don't do like has he surprised you in that sense uh, yeah sometimes he has some crazy moments where i'm thinking there's only one or two support players on the us that would do this um, so that's why it, he kind of reminds me of when I was playing with Mickey X and he was a rookie. Um, because, like, uh, it's just insane talent, right? When I see him play. But he sometimes he can have the same tendencies, like, Mickey, for example, had as a rookie, or just in general, rookie supports can have, where they, they go face check a bush alone and die, or they go way too deep, or just griefs completely. 
like one play, for example. And at the same time, he can make an insane play the next minute. Um, so yeah, it's that's kind of how I see him. Like I see some really good things in him, and it's just working on that basically. Yeah, because I the, my actually my uh, first two experiences of watching him because I didn't see the first Astralis game in real time. I went back and um, watched it afterwards. My first experience of watching him is I turned on, I believe it was your second game, or maybe it was the first game, where he just like massively overextended on the dive in top lane and got caught yeah. while everyone was already retreating. And I was just like, okay, whatever. And I stopped watching and I was like, mm -hmm, yeah, I would like rushing to judgment. And then I watched the whole of the Pike game in your third game, I was like, Okay, I guess I guess this guy's got mega hands. Like, and I mean, people say like, oh yeah, hook champion. Like that 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 game was really smoke. I mean, I know all you guys are like playing pretty well, but that to me was like, uh, yeah. I mean, some people have said that it's his favorite champion, and obviously I give that some credence as well. But to me, if someone says like, oh my favorite champion is X, and X is like a mechanically intensive or high skill ceiling champion then it still means something if they pop off on it, right? So, yeah, no, I thought that was pretty impressive. In terms of, like, who who leads the lane out of you and him? Like, obviously, someone might think, oh, well, you, you're the one who speaks English, so maybe you lead the lane, but actually it doesn't really make any sense, right? Because if you both speak a different language, like, how does it work? Are you leading or is he leading? If he's on engage, he leads. If not, you lead. How does it work? Um, I think it's, like, different uh, aspects of the game we're leading, so I think macro wise and what to do with waves and everything I, i'm usually leading that part but in terms of if you just talk laning phase to v2 i think he is usually leading uh depending on what champion he's playing of course if it's um like i say Ray, he's playing lulu or something then i wouldn't say he's leading but on the champions where it makes sense then he he sees a lot of aggressive angles where he takes charge of the lane and i just that's where we just need to understand each other better because Sometimes he sees something and maybe I don't, and then it becomes hard uh, with the communication, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think whenever I play with um, a new player, I try, uh, whether intended or not, I give a lot of room for them because I want to know them and how they want to play the game and what they see. So from day one, I'm not like trying to control everything, even though I think I, in like most of the cases, I have an idea of what it's going to be the best um but i like to see the other player how he thinks about the game and oftentimes i actually learn something new i can improve from um especially with this guy in the in laning phase and just he has a lot of good things that just can help uh, me improve yeah no it'll be fun to see him when halfway through the split when his english is a lot better as well but uh okay cool so yeah the third uh change obviously you guys made um the legend of the top lane former league mvp obviously bizarchi for those who don't know or were living under a rock obviously he retired from a year for a year sorry uh then he played worlds with peace uh had a nice game or two uh went to play in the lfl in my opinion i'm not gonna lie i didn't think he looked great either at worlds or playing in the lfl like i didn't think he looked bad but i didn't think like okay yeah this is the same guy um but again obviously you know, he had a couple of, like, he didn't look out of place once uh, LEC started, right? So for you specifically, AOD, I want to kind of know, because obviously you saw the same things I saw from a better trained eye. Like, what did you see that made you think, like, yeah, this guy's, uh, you know, he, he is ready to come back and I do feel that he's up for it? Because as I said, um, a cynical person or a fan or something might just say, like, ah, it's just a lazy pickup. They went with a name rather than, you know, someone who's still good. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing I saw basically of the span of like eight plus games is basically that uh, the macro of the team he played in and the way they were using their leads and playing the waves and closing out games, especially, you know, it just felt like that's something that we lacked in the previous splits. And it's very easy to see, right? Because you know the guy that he's actually the one behind the scenes calling the shots sometimes of how to attack the map and stuff, right? I was, we also noticed basically the sacrificial uh, nature that he has as a player and basically what that does for a bot lane, for example, which is where, of course, we want to play through as well, right? So I just think it makes a lot of sense uh, from these two standpoints already. Then there's, of course, the factor of uh, them, they're actually friends and know each other for before, you know? So I just think there's like so many pieces that fall into place and just makes a lot of sense to be a five-man with him. 
Yeah, and for you, Kobe, like, have you noticed a, a check? Like, who's who's really leading the the sort of main macro calls in game? Is it Vizzy? Is he is he adding a lot there? He's adding a lot for sure. Uh, I think especially in our not not the first game against G two, but for the other stage games, he like once we got comfortable on stage as a team, he is definitely stepping up a lot in terms of calls. Um, and even for like early mid game as well, he has. Um, I guess throughout the whole game, yeah. He 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 has a lot of experience, obviously, and can help with many different calls in the game. I think, though, I mean, I, I need to listen to what comes from the stage games again because I don't exactly remember everything. Um, right now, it just feels like I, we have a good flow of communication and we're learning to play together even better. Um, but yeah, he he's he has the same qualities I remember. Yeah, because that's one of the things that I think people like overlook all the time. And, and again, I always stress this because it really tilts me when people say stuff like this player is uh, either bad or um, doesn't offer enough to the team or he misplayed this or like because in reality, if you have something as complex, for example, as a dive, you can see the guy who ints in the server. Right. But you have no idea if he was even the person who made that call, like for all the fan knows his teammate literally said you flash in now like it, that could have happened right like communication is such a big thing in in league and i think there's such a big discrepancy between what you see on the screen versus what could have happened and i think it's really important for players like Vizzy, obviously other people who are like typically play a lot of weak side as well guys like Otto or whatever they might have horrendous stat lines but for all you know they've been saying leave me i'm gonna die top lane leave me make a play bot and then they die and go zero three or whatever, and the fans are, ha, oh my god, this guy's so washed, he's trash. But actually, he might have just won the game by dying. You know, like I think this stuff is kind of super important to to have in mind, especially with top laners, because top laners are usually the ones get they get fucked if uh, if you're a team that plays to mid or to bot. Um, but okay, cool. So even though I know that he wasn't a new signing, I do also want to touch on Dale quickly. Again, not going to lie, a player that I was very cynical about when he was signed. I didn't think it made a lot of sense. Um, something that I think is really important to keep in mind with Dale, though, and I did stress at the time, is this guy is so new to professional league, it's crazy. Like, even now, I mean, people know him from playing on the uh, Fnatic uh, rising team that made the EUM final. But that was his first split, and he didn't even play the whole split. He played, like, half of one split because Forbidden basically retired halfway through that split. So he is, like very small amount of experience right so it's obviously difficult or unfair as well to judge uh, aod obviously you're the, the the guy that signed him um he's he's had a, a lot of doubters as i said when when he first came in uh myself included but especially i think the start of this split looks like an lec mid laner and that might not sound like much of a compliment but trust me like the things i was saying for example about it, that is a a big compliment like he look he looks good and obviously he's still extremely young what what are your thoughts on him and and his potential ceiling? Do you see him as a as a guy who could become you know one of one of the really good mids in in EU? Yeah, that was our expectation of him when we signed him. You know, like uh, we just looked at him and were like, okay, this guy has zero experience. But for some reason, under pressure, he actually performs at already EU Masters uh, uh, high level, right? And we thought basically, okay, it's still pretty early. We can just like uh, teach him some uh, basic stuff, just bring him as close as possible to LEC level. And there is no way that this guy is not going to pay out in two splits, you know? Yes, there were some champion pool issues. Yes, the meta shifted a bit away from him, but he actually uh, was able to find the middle ground kind of for him that worked at that time. And then in the offseason, he grinded the other identity, which he didn't know, which is Madison. And now here we are, you know? Like, I think he was really, really hungry already in the interviews we had with him, you know? Like, he was... Uh, already showing a good enough level that was convincing for us and he didn't really present any joke factors or stuff like that like he actually had courage under pressure but the most impressive was basically in the interview it was very obvious to us that this guy just believes in, in, in himself and the opportunity we are presenting to him right and he was more than ready to take it you know whereas i can't really say i respect people who are like oh lc is too early for me or oh if i play in lc and i look bad nobody's gonna pick me up i don't respect this kind of stuff you know so yeah. this guy was the exact opposite and i respect that yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because uh, as as an agent, obviously, I do that on behalf of players sometimes because the player might be saying like, oh, I really want to sign for this team or whatever. But I, it's my job to like hedge my bets, you know? So like even if their ambition is high, I'm thinking in my head, okay, it's high. You want to do it. You're brave enough to do it. But just statistically, 
I can hedge your career much better if you play another split in the ARLs, right? Rather than like risking going on a team that's probably not going to be like contesting to win. And there's a potential, depending on how the team plays, that you could look really bad, even if you're not that bad, even maybe if you're just a little bit unprepared. So yeah, no, I agree. Like as a, from an org perspective, um I completely agree. Like, I want players to tell me that they're ready. I don't want them to be like, mm, yeah, well, mm, maybe not. But as I said, as an agent, it's kind of my job to like... I, I get that, right? But at the same time, let's say I was Dior, right? And I could redo it all from his age and represent him with this opportunity. As a player now, I would actually instantly take it anyway. You know? Even if I may look bad, I will learn so much in the split or maybe two in LEC that I would actually outvalue my bad reputation after. And then I would climb again, you know? Oh, so That's how I see this. So kind of the stuff. thing is, so would I, but not for the same reasons. I would, because <laughs> to be honest, at the time, I thought Dale was so bad that I'd be like, oh my God, dude, it's never going to get any better than this. Take it, take it, take it. This will be your only time you play in LEC because you're going to get mm -hmm. fucking kicked afterwards. Like, that was my read on him. And I'm happy to see that hopefully i'm being proved wrong so yeah but no yeah generally of course i i take take the the sentiment for sure um now obviously like when you guys were going into the split uh there was sort of some fairly meaningful patch changes uh, specifically you know uh, assassins uh ball like burst damage in general getting a bit nerfed um and also sort of how team fights play out and in particularly how it kind of affects the ad carries obviously gobby because First of all, you don't quite have the same threat of just getting turbo one shot every single team fight if you misposition. But at the same time, you can argue it's a bit more difficult because of the damage nerfs, like fights are a bit longer and you have to stay in the fight for longer. Is this like a meta that you feel suits you? Again, holistically, we would probably say yes, because as I said, what you're sort of historically known for is like the late game fights where you're permanently in the fight, sort of auto spacing and moving forward. But like, how how do you feel about the meta? Do you, do you find yourself having to play any differently than you did last split, for example? Um, I really like it, honestly. Since the patch came, I thought the game was just a lot better and there's more room for... Um, so it's like a mix. I think I play a lot better now than I did in Spring Split, but the patch is also like... Um, skill expression there's a lot more of this especially in my role i think when the, you get to these situations where you have a lot of items and if you play well you can legit one v four or one v five carry a team fight um because some of the champions right now are just busted as fuck like uh, siri for example or yeah. you see there's like so many champions getting banned every single uh, draft on ad carry or just bot lane in general um so i'm pretty happy yeah i think the role is I mean, the role was good in spring because Jinx was extremely OP um, and Aphelios kind of too. Um, but now I just think the the role as a general is so much better um, because you can play these champions that are insanely strong when they get items. But the thing is, if you pick them before, you would just lose the game in five minutes, right? Yeah. You, you won't be able to farm one CS. You will get one shot by an aggressive bot lane and you will get dove like three times and your game is over. Um, so yeah, I think, I feel like it suits me. It's, um, I'm not sure how much of it is the patch and how much is just me playing better in general. Um, but I think you can carry a lot of games if you play well in this role right now. No, I think, I think you made a good point as well, which is, I think one of the weaknesses of the spring split meta was it encouraged early dives so much that the game can just be over like super quickly because obviously the kinds of champions that would be played in mid could do so much burst damage so early on that the threat perpetually of getting like four man dove within the first seven minutes or whatever was like really fucking high i feel now you can't really do that oh you can but like not as easily and there are fewer champions where it works so it seems like more balance and ad carries aren't just like out of the game immediately which as yeah. i said was, was... It's the turrets as well, like the turrets yeah. are just one-shotting you if you try dives right now. Um, but yeah, I think that got nerfed a little bit as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's a mix of both. Yeah, and and for you AOD, like what what are your sort of general thoughts on the meta? Do you feel like it, it sort of suits your team? I mean, obviously this week, for example, Rogue even came out and said that they felt they'd massively like misread the meta and fucked up their drafts or whatever like do you feel like we obviously don't give any any picks or anything but do you feel like you have a good read on it and and how do you see it 
I think uh, we had a good read on it before the patch actually hit, you know, like we were theory crafting and discussing as a team quite a lot of how this would affect our practice. And I would say we actually started practicing even on the previous patch already for this patch, you know, like we felt, okay, this champ is irrelevant, this champ is irrelevant. Just drop it from pick and ban, just ban it every game and just pick something that's future meta kind of, you know. So we actually got quite a head start on the patch itself. Um, and I think overall the patch kind of suits us. Like I really think it plays uh, in the favor of AD carries and Kobe should be very happy with that, right? Like. <laughs> I think it's just very good for us. Yeah. And do you, do you uh, like, in general, is there a team? Because obviously, you know, you've been uh, the head coach of Astralis for a, a while now. Is there, like, a, a specific teams or coaches that you've, like, historically found it difficult to draft against? Or, like, that they have so many flexes that you as a coach find it? I mean, we always hear from players, like, champions they don't like playing from or whatever. Are there ever any team, excuse me, any teams, like, where the, the days before you're like, ah, this team's going to be really rough to draft against. Mm, I mean, I think the only one that you cannot really limit in draft necessarily is G2, you know, like uh, if they want to be unpredictable on the day, they will be unpredictable on the day and they will actually execute it as well, you know. Whereas other teams, I feel a lot of times you can get uh, more predictable drafts from them. So it's a bit easier to prepare, you know. Yeah. And with your draft process, like obviously a lot of people, they have like a draft tree essentially where it's like okay if they pick this on b1 or whatever then we pick this if they then trade with this we trade with this like when something like that happens like if they pick some really weird sort of three-way flex or something do you have like systems in place for that or then does it become a conversation between you and the players and being like oh okay if this karma is going mid then what do you guys want to do like how's the process work for you uh, I mean, usually this is already figured out in scrims. So let's say it's a flex meta. Right now it's not really that big of a flex meta, but in the past it has been like that, right? And I think at that point, yes, you kind of simulate and branch out every possible answer to every lane and what is the biggest reward, what is the highest risk and all that, you know? And then by the time you hit the stage game, you will know, you know, exactly what to do. Like, And if you get hit by something like this out of nowhere, then I think the best way is just uh, stick to playing it safe, you know, playing comfort. Because comfort is going to beat any fancy draft you will do on the moment. Yeah. No, for sure. Okay, cool. So obviously this week, as you said, your first game was against G2. Um, I thought you guys, as I said, looked fairly competitive early and then obviously the game got a bit away from you. What would you say uh, was the big difference in that game in terms of, you know, basically the reason why you lost and what, what adjustments did you guys make going into game two or the second two games of Super Week? I'm not... I mean, I think the draft was fine. I think it was... Uh... That was not really the problem. Like we had a good bot lane matchup, and we kind of—I mean, Yankos decided to give us first blood, so that was nice. Um, but then, I'm honestly not sure. I would have to rewatch again. Like what I remember is just that we we cracked the bot lane turret at some point, um, but they were like getting more on the other side. Like we took some bad trades after where we mismatched them when they already got the herald and they cracked our top turret, and they just got a I don't know, 3, 4k gold lead from that, so the game became harder. Um, but we could still win fights. Like, I think we won a Drake fight, even though we were 4k behind or something, and we should have just went to Nash and, and done Burn, uh, honestly. Because that was our best shot of coming back. Um, What's the yeah. biggest difference you notice when you play against a team like G2 and... and uh... I mean, I don't want to single them out as an example, but a team like BDS, like what other than assuming all things are equal and the drafts are playable on both sides, etc. Like, what's the biggest difference you feel in game? Not sure. I mean, they. I think they played their comp really well. Like um, with Caps and Zoe, this guy was really annoying to play against. Uh, that's what I remember the most from the game. Um, they constantly had push on two lanes and it was extremely hard for us to play. And I'm not sure if it was because of that or we were just too uncomfortable on the stage, but I think we, we didn't play the mid part of the game that well. Um, but to me, I don't know, it didn't really... It just felt like playing against a team that plays well together. Uh, I didn't really have any other special feelings other mm. than Caps is really annoying to play against. <laughs> Yeah, for you, AOD, with something like that, obviously uh, Caps is a really good Zoe player, but he's also a really good LeBlanc player, and he's also really good on loads of other champions. So, like, how do you prioritize that? Like, go at the end of the draft, and you see that he's playing Zoe, are you comfortable with that? And are you just thinking, okay, well, as long as we play our comp well, then it doesn't matter? Or are you thinking, like, 
a player that good can just break the game open if if things go his way. I think you can never really show fear, you know, unless you have like a really good reason to. At that point, you just deny such a champion. But I think since the guy has a high level on a lot of champs, and at that point, he can pick quite a lot of champions as well. You know, like I think there's literally four or five options of mids he can pick at that point, you know. I think it's very hard to really narrow it down because I think a lot of them fit with the comp they have already. So you just have to take it as it comes and you just play your comp, you know. I think it's that simple. Any other overcomplications or overrespect or anything like that causes you to just be off your game. Yeah. Okay, cool. Obviously, in your second game, you guys played against uh, BDS. BDS obviously have a new support in Erdo, who's uh, replacing Limit. Uh, for you, Kobe, like how, how did you find that lane? Obviously, people have been talking about um, Matty. He was very promising coming into spring. Obviously, did really well in the ERLs. Together as a duo, him and Limit didn't have, have the best split. But obviously, you know, he's considered a, a good player and he's been paired with a new support. How, how was that lane to play? And yeah, how 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 did that feel versus? I mean, maybe you can't even remember, but him and Limit, if you can even remember that back that far. Um, I remember playing against Limit. I don't think this guy was bad at all. Um, maybe he had a few int games, but um, yeah, game against BDS. I think that was where my uh, where Jungun was on Tamkench, and I think he W'd in level two. He missed, and then he just died. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was. I mean, it was good if it hits, obviously, but it didn't, so then he's he's just dead. So that's obviously risky, and uh, what did we, we play against Misfortune Rakan? Yeah, I think that was probably just a lane where we farm to level 6 and nothing happens otherwise. Um, and then my champion is just 10 times better than Misfortune. Um, I think already from one item, we were just going to win fights. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure, like, after this thing happened in bot lane we there was not really much laning phase left other did than he farming. did he say he was going in or did he just say like going in and like w at the same time yeah. i mean yeah he's not asking for permission he's okay. saying he's going <laughs> and i'm ready to follow um but yeah after this happened with my champion it's like like series not that strong early game and doesn't have a lot of burst there to i mean i'm not sure how to how I, like it was like one mistake and they kind of dictate the lane from that point because um, their champs were just stronger early game, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, I was just chilling, farming minions, and they got a Herald out of it. They got some early pressure, but they didn't really do anything more with that because they were already losing fights from one item. Yeah. And uh, how, how about the Misfits game? How did that feel to, to play out? Obviously, less immediate in, I guess. Yeah, I think it was just free win from draft, honestly. Um, not, not really sure. I was just kind of chilling throughout the whole game, stacking up on, uh, on my champion, getting strong. And even though it was, I think Chachi had an unlucky laning phase where Jax got a bit ahead, but it was still fine because the Jax was playing Ghost and he <laughs> can't play the game later on against my champion. Um, so yeah. That game was pretty fun, honestly. I think my support enjoyed as well. He, he played really good. I mean, um, what do yeah. you what do you guys think about Misfits? Because obviously this was a, a team who I would say was like the weirdest team last split, where it's like they showed a whole different bunch of le uh, gameplay levels, I guess. Anything from like really good to really bad to anything in between. And But their record at the end of it was, you know, really good. They, they were joint third in regular season, but it felt... From my perspective, at least, it felt fairly, not exactly fraudulent, but it's like they could have also missed playoffs, you know, because of how some of those games went, they were like 50-minute crazy games and stuff like this. And now, obviously, they've not started the best, and it seems like VTO's maybe not quite on his, like, MVP form. Like, how did you feel, AOD, like, going into that game? Like, did you think it would be, like, a really difficult game, or did you feel that if you, again, did you feel, like, comfortable that you think you guys can probably win? I mean, considering our scrims, our preparation and everything, like we just entered the week really, really confident. And even after the G2 game, I think we showcased a good level. We made three, four bad decisions that cost us the game, sure. But we didn't really like get stomped or played bad or whatever. And it was also game one. So game two, it's even better on stage, right? You get adjusted to everything. So I would say we didn't really care, you know, about uh, who we faced that day. We just played our game. 
Are you surprised by by their early form? Like on paper, do you feel like they should be a playoff team, or or how? Again, no, don't need to uh, slander or anything. But like, are you a bit surprised by their by their form? Uh, not really. I mean, I'm gonna be honest here. Okay, like uh, day one, we walk off stage, and uh, I saw them. Like, I know actually we were about to go on stage. I think if I remember correctly, and they were before us. And I looked at their faces and basically like uh, one of them just had the uh, headphones on, you know, as in like they literally are not even off the stage yet and they're not talking to each other, you know. So the moment I saw that as a coach, I'm like, yeah, this is really doomed, you know, it's like this, this can't happen in game one already, you know, that people don't talk with each other. And, you know, it just felt like it gave me a really bad feeling, you know, of uh, their internal stuff. So yeah. after that point, I'm like, well, I'm not so sure how to feel about this team anymore, you know, like I don't feel like uh, they have the best mood, you know, let's put it like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to ask you guys to, to comment on this, obviously, but there was a lot of rumours behind the scenes that perhaps um, VTO was trying to move to a different team. And obviously, you know, he's their best player and he, he let's, let's be honest, he had a pretty poor week one. So, yeah, you do wonder about, you know, those kind of things and, and what's going on. But, yeah, we'll see. Um, but, you know, I had, as I said, I had the missing playoffs, but I also had you guys 10th place. So, who knows? <laughs> We'll see how accurate I mean, those are. I had the same actually with Misfits. Like I think before spring, I didn't expect them to be good at all, and they, I mean, at least from my expectations, they were a lot better. So uh, I'm honestly not sure what's going on now with them. Um, maybe they, I feel like they're just not coming together as a team, and from knowing their players and everything, that's also why I rated them low before spring. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really not sure how it is now. Like I think they have good, they have it like V2 is good when he is on form. I think Nian is also a good player. Uh, the rest I'm not sure about. Um, but yeah, from from knowing that team, I just I feel like. Uh, I'm not going to speak too much about yeah. it. Honestly. No, no. no, it's all good. Now, obviously, this week um, we had some absolute bangers. If you go by a uh, spring spring split, at least. Um, between the top three, Fnatic and G2 obviously both beat Rogue, um, but Fnatic have lost lost to XL, who have been kind of like again. There's always this kind of sort of quiet murmur where teams, of course, they don't talk too much about how scrims are going on, but basically the assumption is that XL are pretty shit hot in scrims and maybe looking like a team who can even possibly do something more than just scraping into playoffs. Um, but then G2 beat XL and a lot of people predicted that G2 would maybe have a heavy hangover from, from MSI. So like my question to you guys, and I'll start with you first, AOD, obviously let's put Astralis to one side. I know you're always going to say, you know, well, whatever, Astralis can do this, can do that, we want to win worlds, who knows. But if, if we put Astralis to one side... Do, looking at these three teams, obviously based on, on last split, based on, on scrims and based on what you've seen so far on stage, do you think there's a realistic opportunity for the likes of a Mad Lions or an XL or a Vitality to break into that top three? Or would you expect that top three to stay the same? Mm, I mean, I think G2 is really hard to uh, move out of top three. Uh, I think that's pretty clear to me, even after this MSI where they're supposed to be burned out, you know, like... They have very little practice compared to others, most likely as well, right? And they're still just performing insanely high, so I, I think they're staying. Um, I think uh, you asked about Excel and Wells. Uh, no, sorry, but the top. So Rogue. So ro the top three from last week. Okay. So Rogue, Fnatic, and G two. Like, do you see other teams outside of those top three potentially making Worlds? Like, could you see a Mad or an Excel or a Vitality? getting replacing one of those teams or do you think that's not i think excel and vitality maybe yeah i would say at least excel looks like for me it's like uh this meta just seems to really fit them you know like uh, i just feel it I, I feel they're also a lot more confident this split than they were before like that's just my feeling of them at least so yeah i would say i would place my bets on them if anyone you know in that sense so if i had to pin you down on a team and i say okay one team is gonna make worlds that isn't in those top three which which team would you pick Okay, I mean, so it's a hard one. Maybe Excel. I just like them. I just think okay. that's the one. What What about you, Kobe? Can you see any teams breaking into the into the top three, into those top three places? I mean, I hope us, obviously. Um, except for that, um, I don't think I have any controversial take on that. I feel like Excel is pretty good right now. What about um, the super team, Vitality, the super team? You know, the team that's meant to win it all. You don't, you don't see that happening. I mean, they they could. Like, I just need to see more from them, kind of. 
because uh, what what they've shown so far in spring and now, I just feel like I need to see more, kind of, before I'm ready to say they're gonna be top three. Fair enough. In terms of obviously, again, someone, a player who's probably been talked about more than almost anyone for the whole of last split, uh, in part because the Spanish community is incredibly big and incredibly obnoxious, is obviously flacked. And I don't know if you guys saw this, but Esports Makinos or whatever the fuck that thing's called, they did, they, they have like, I don't know, 10 people working for them or something like that. And they did an ADC power ranking of like all the ADCs in, in uh, LEC. And obviously, to not my surprise at least, basically all of them had flacked first, which I think most reasonable people would say is a little bit silly, but admittedly you know he's a perfectly decent player what, what are your thoughts on Flax? obviously you played against had the chance to play against him i guess three times now uh twice in spring and and, and recently now what what's your opinion of Flax compared to other ad's who played on top teams um i definitely don't think he's like the best like individually um i think he fits into the g2 team pretty well probably but from if I have to like just judge the player only, then I don't feel any pressure playing against him compared to playing against Fnatic Botlane, for example, or even Rogue Botlane, maybe. Um, playing against G2, it's like, I don't have to be worried because I know it, they're not coming for me. Um, mm, yeah. That's that's not their style of play, and the Botlane is not the main carry. Um, but they play their part in the team really well. Um, and I think they improved a lot from... So like before playoffs, I don't think they were very good. Um, but since playoffs and MSI, it looks like they have like really picked up the pace and improved a lot. So um, good for them, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't feel any specific pressure playing against them. And AOD, I want your thoughts on kind of like obviously the support angle. And Targamas, I think, is someone who's kind of really gone under the radar. But in my opinion, looks pretty damn good like what what are your feelings about him in fact he's he's been playing for so long you might even have played against him in comp did you ever play against mm. Targamas in comp maybe not actually because i really remember <laughs> but uh, i think he he wasn't really under the radar at least like i feel even before lc uh, a lot of uh, people considered him to be the one of the top ones in eros you know so i think actually he was already building up quite a reputation so i can't say i'm surprised that he actually performed well in lc you know like i really yeah, no, I'm more I'm more meant from the perspective of like I think he's played really well in LEC, but I don't feel like he's really talked about that much. Like for example, when Kaiser was having his mega split, it was like, oh my god, Kaiser or Hillisang, and now Kaiser's kind of cooled off a bit. But I feel like Targamas has had a split comparable to Kaiser's debut split, but no one's no one's really talking about him. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, the team play and maybe Cops is still in the highlight, right? But I I do believe that he's actually performing quite well, you know yeah okay cool uh right now obviously uh this week you guys have sk and rogue um again as an outsider or if i was like a, an astralis fan or whatever i would see sk as like the must win game because if you want to make playoffs you basically have to consistently beat all the teams who should be below you right if you don't make playoffs and who knows maybe sk will make playoffs but going into it how do you look at scenarios like this aod like do you look at a game week and think, okay, this is a must win, and then here it's like a bonus, or do you just take it like game by game? Like, do you have a game target where it's like, okay, if we get nine wins this split, then that's probably going to be good for playoffs, and you're like ticking them off on a calendar, like win, win, loss, loss, or like how, how, how is your mindset on that? Uh, I think usually I, I don't like to think uh, like that. It's just like we, I would really want us to take it one game at a time. You know, I think that's the most important. And I think uh, the moment you start doing numbers and uh, underestimating and overestimating and all that shit, it's like, it's really bad, you know? Like, I think people think the wrong things instead of just focusing on the stuff they know and the opponent in front of them, you know? So I don't like that kind of uh, extra thoughts, basically. Okay, cool. And what, what about you, Kobe? Like, as you mentioned uh, before, that you think that Rogue's probably like, one of the more difficult lanes to play against. Can you elaborate on that slightly? Like what, what makes uh, Trimby and uh, Comp more difficult to play against than most bot lanes? Um, I'm not, I mean, it, it's actually been a while since I played against them because I don't think we scrimmed against them lately either. Um, but in spring, at least I thought they were one of the better ones that did basically did more with the resources they had and pressured more. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, I, I had this since before, like, I'm not sure if it's, I mean, before it was like Hans and Trimby, um, where Hans was obviously the main main part of it. I'm not sure how it, it works now, but I just think they're two good players and it looks like they work well together. Um, what are your feelings on, and I, I want to get both of your thoughts on this, again, another player who was much talked about last spring and lots of really differing opinions, obviously Maorang, like, when, as an AD carry, or as, or just as someone in the rift, like, do you, are you more wary because of someone sort of being that unpredictable that, you know, if your teammates go into ward try or something like that, that you think, oh, fucking hell, Maorang's not there, or like, how do you, how do you view him as a player? Do you think he's good, or do you more subscribe to the yeah, kind of burger flipping a bit and landed uh, on heads on heads most coin flips. Like, well, how how do you see him as a player? Uh, do I yeah. begin or? <laughs> sure, you're the jungle man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the new jungle man. But yeah, basically, I think uh, before a lot of people said basically that uh, this guy is keeping too many comps for fun and all that stuff. But I actually think he's a very good sacrificial player. Like that's the category I would put him in, you know. And I, I think he does a very good job at that. Like. He gives his own resources to people uh, in the lanes, right? And the lanes will carry later. And the, due to the way the catch-up XP works and stuff, uh, I really feel it's actually not that bad uh, of a thing to explore, you know? Like, I think junglers in general are way, way too greedy with uh, every single comp they can take and all that stuff and are very reluctant to actually drop something for the lanes, you know? So I think he actually was surprising a lot of people in that sense. And people actually saw, hey, actually, this is possible. It's actually working for them, you know? And... Uh, they became either uh, more aware of this and some of them even started doing it themselves to some extent and others just simply accept, expected, okay, this guy's actually going to do it like this so now we know how he plays, you know? So how, on just quickly on that though, like a lot of people would say that Xerxy historically is like the ultimate herbivore jungler, like not ganking lane. So like, do you do you have conversations with him about that? Like, does he does he have those instincts and you have to try and get him to like play to lanes more or, or how has that been? The instinct is there for sure, but actually he's very open to adapting to the team as well, you know? Like, if the team says, this is important, uh, we need you to come here instead of, let's say, one more golden camp or whatever, he's actually very open to that, you know? Like, he understands that sacrifice will give a reward, you know? And, and what about you, Kobe? As I said, like, when it comes to a, a player like Maorang, does that make you as a laner play any differently than if you were against someone who you think, ah, this guy is doing his second full clear? Like, how, how is that for you? Um, there is some junglers where, um, before the game I say, okay, this guy's playing Jarvan or some other level 2 jungler, I'm like, okay, I'm warning level 2, I dodge the gank and then we're good to go. Uh, but I don't quite think he's like that. Um, I think, like I said, said, like he just fits in well with Rogue, at least in spring, because they have really good laners on all three lanes, I think. And some of the games, like, I remember playing against him and he was just making the game unplayable for me for like two minutes straight. Uh, just not farming anything and just making sure his, his laners are in a good state. And put his bot lane ahead, for example, and, you know, they're going to carry the game because they're not bad players. Um, so, yeah, I, I can res I'm not a jungler myself, but I can respect that kind of playstyle. Um, especially because many of the junglers I played with in the past were not like this at all. Um, I think most of the junglers I played with of my career was like very far away from how Melrang plays. Um, so obviously, I'm not really sure what my opinion is. I think some of the things he does is really good, and sometimes it's pretty int. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure if I asked the junglers I played with what they think of him, they would say he's uh, uh, trolling. Yeah, and just finally, guys, I want to get both of your predictions because obviously it's still super early on in the season. I'm not going to ask you to talk about teams that you think won't make playoffs. I assume you both think, you know, the goal obviously is to make playoffs. Astralis is going to be in playoffs. I want to know who you guys think the five teams are that are going to be there with you. And I want to hear it from you first, AOD. Who are the five teams that are going to be with Astralis in playoffs? Mm, okay, I mean, G2 is for sure. I would say Excel. Um... Hmm. I think Fnatic looking pretty solid. Did I say four already? Uh, mm, you yeah, Astralis, Excel, G two, Fnatic. So one more. Okay, so, so you have to abandon <laughs> either Rogue or Vitality are out. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, this one is a tough one, right? Like I think these two are very like obviously the safe choice is Rogue, right? But uh, 
they had a bad start. It depends how they readjust. I still believe in them to readjust, right? But I'm gonna go with <laughs> with Vitality actually. Just oh. for some spice. Just for oh. some spice. Okay, okay. <laughs> Kobe, what about you? Do you have rogue missing playoffs? Um, I was thinking about it because I actually just checked out the standings and obviously it's only one week, so there's not much to say. But just to make it easier for myself, there are some teams I'm counting out already. Um, <laughs> well, G2 obviously. Um, who else is there? I think Fnatic should go to playoffs, no matter what, just based on the players they have. Um, so you've only got two more slots left because Astralis are getting in, right? So only wait, two more slots. Wait, I have Astralis, G2, Fnatic. Um, oh, sorry, no, you have three. You have yeah, three. It's actually hard, quite hard, I think. Um, judging from level right now, I would give XL a spot as well. And for the two last, it's like between Mad Lions. Uh, Rogue and Vitality. So if I have to think what team doesn't make it... Uh, I'm gonna say no Mad Lions actually. Oof. But no, uh, I mean, it is really interesting when you actually look at it the might table. Be really agreeable, but... Yeah, but it's so, it's so... There's so many teams competing for playoffs, right? Like, realistically. Yeah. Obviously, again, it's super early, but like, based on what we know, based on like, how mini leaks about scrims and also just how the first games have gone like it's i mean mad should have beaten rogue right in their last game probably and rogue would have been zero three and then it's like not just a case yeah. of how good do you think rogue is but we would you actually have to start putting some fucking wins on the board so no I, yeah, I think it's really difficult i think in the end i had vitality just missing out but again that seems crazy to say when you look at the look at the players on their team um but yeah okay cool but Awesome stuff, guys. I'm going to leave it there. Thank you guys so much for joining me. And we Thank will you for having us. see you next time.